Star Wars 7x7 episode 3093. Today it's the penultimate episode looking back at season one of Andor, these final debriefing episodes. We've been looking at story arcs in the last couple ones of these and there's only one other complete three episode story arc left that we haven't rediscussed, which we are going to do today. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So as with the previous couple of episodes, we're going to kick things off with a little bit of scoundrel business revisitation. So, you know, just as a quick reminder, as we've been discussing streaming numbers, we do not have complete numbers. Nielsen is giving us estimates. That's where we're pulling this data from, but there's nothing out there. There was a, a joint called Samba that was putting out information, but they are also taking samples from smart TVs that were definitely not the whole constellation of how people are viewing things. Only Disney Plus knows exactly how many views the Andor series is getting, how many views each episode is getting, what the you know, ups and downs of that are. But Nielsen's estimate from the outside seems to suggest that viewership may have jumped significantly from the first three episodes going to the next to the fourth episode. Basically, there were something like 624 million minutes viewed for episodes one through three, which if you break it down by episode, that's 208 million minutes viewed per episode. And the first episode of the story arc that we're talking about today, the Aldani story arc, 485 million minutes viewed during that week. Now, granted, we don't know how much of that is viewing of episodes one through three versus what's viewing of episode four there, although I think I've heard 80% as a benchmark when we were talking about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series a few months ago. And if that benchmark is anywhere near being right, then twice as many minutes were viewed for episode four than were viewed for either episodes one, two, or three. So yeah, significant jump got off on the right foot is what it sure seems like. That number dipped in the middle with the axe forgets and then popped back up again, but not quite at the same level for the eye. It was like 356 million minutes viewed for the axe forgets and 400, just over 400 for the eye. Lower numbers certainly than Obi-Wan and the Book of Boba Fett and also the Mandalorian, but trending in the right direction, that is for sure. As for the Aldani arc itself, you know, one of the things that we've talked about here on the podcast is how it sort of replicated a bit of a formula that we saw in the first three episodes, but it was definitely a lot clearer here in that Episode one is very much a setup episode, like who's going to be involved in the story arc, what the goal or mission is within the story arc, and the second episode would be about the complications and about moving all the pieces into place to then have final set pieces in the final episode of the arc. With this one, it's the team meeting and getting Cassian introduced to the team on Aldani and hearing what the plans are for this crazy heist that they're going to pull off. And then it's the practicing and getting to know the teammates. And then the eye is almost entirely about the heist. And there's just you know some stuff at the end with people reacting to the consequences of the heist basically like the Imperial Security Bureau saying that they want all of these emergency preparedness reports ready and available and Mon Mothma 
trying to make a speech in the Senate, but then words coming down about Aldani and everybody's distracted. Luthen Rail hearing about it from a random customer talking in the antiquity shop and then going back into his back office and going ha over it. But the real work of this story arc is not so much about the Aldani heist, although that is, of course, a significant part of it, but it's really about laying the groundwork for the conflict that's going to happen later on in the series. In particular, we are finally introduced to the Imperial Security Bureau in this arc, and we're also introduced to the political machinations going on within it. Specifically, the argument between Blevin and Dedramiro about jurisdiction over what's happening on Ferex. And we find out that, I guess, almost in a similar way to Grand Admiral Thrawn, Dedra Miro is not about politics. That's not her thing. She is only about getting to the right result and doing the investigative work necessary to achieve her ends. There is a political discussion that happens with the conflict between her and Blevin over the jurisdiction situation and having to pitch this to Major Partigas and whatnot. But even though it is in the political theater, Dedramiro is not operating from a political footing. In this story arc, we also meet Mon Mothma for the first time in the series, and we actually find that she's really not in a good place in her life whatsoever. I mean, who is under the Empire? But, I mean, we meet her and find out that she's having trouble moving money around. That's the first thing that we learn. Then we see her interacting with her husband, Perrin, who is inviting the worst possible guests to their dinner party and complaining that everything has to be so boring and sad instead of supporting her. And we see that Perrin has also soured their daughter against Mon Mothma and is actively undermining Mon Mothma's parenting. Yeah, Mon Mothma is set up to be in you know a tighter and tighter confined situation where she is not able to do what she's really trying to do, which is resist the Empire. She has no help from Luthen Rail with her money situation. She has no help from her husband, can't trust him whatsoever, and you know, he won't even support her on the family side of things. She is about as isolated as it gets, and the one person who might sympathize with her is her cousin Vel, who is off fighting the good fight. So what this arc does functionally is set Mon Mothma up for having to make the more fraught with consequences kinds of choices that she makes later on in the series. We also get to see a very subtle empire which expands our idea of what the empire is capable of and how they operate. For example, on Aldani, when there's that conversation about how they've manipulated the Donnies and made it so that fewer and fewer of them come to view the eye on that pilgrimage and they are just continuing to push them off into these enterprise zones and yeah, the, the manipulation of putting way stations along the pilgrimage path so that some of them just stop and eat and drink and don't continue the pilgrimage path and that they set up situations where they have choices that they you know make choices against themselves then on the side over with Ferex and the Preox Morlana Corporate Authority, you have them more outright expressing their authorita and 
taking hold of the whole system, putting it under imperial control and kicking the Priox Morlana people out of the way. You don't necessarily see how bad they will get just yet, but they're certainly doing bad enough things like taking over a hotel and using it as their base. You know, I'm sure the hotel owners were probably not very well compensated for that. And this Captain Tigo who says, I want to be made a prefect. And Blevins like, yeah, you can do whatever you want to. That is the kind of attitude that's going to lead to trouble later on, of course. We also see Cyril take a turn from being stuffy and overly committed to procedure and doing things right to becoming a creepy stalker character. And the story arc sets up Luthenrail not just as someone who's been buying parts randomly from Bixcaline. He is actually at the center of a web of rebel activities. And we also find that out from Dead Ramiro's investigations. We're given the inkling that, oh, maybe he's involved in some of these other theft situations. And we also get it from him bringing Cassie into Aldani and the situation where he talks to Mon Mothma and, and when she's saying, I don't have enough money, I'm having trouble moving it around. And he says, well, you know, I have many mouths to feed, right? So he's got a lot more irons in the fire than we were led to realize when we first saw those three episodes. So I think ultimately I've come to reevaluate my assessment of the sort of self-contained nature of this particular story arc. Yes, it is the case for Andor that it is a very self-contained story arc, but for the rest of our supporting cast, it's very much laying the foundation for who these characters are and what trials and tribulations they're going to be going through during the rest of season one. And that is what I've got for you for today's episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it. As always, and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited. Other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.